Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic is to be a door. And what I'm referring to is that this is a purpose of Jesus' coming into the world. One reason that he came into this world was to be a door between this world and the next world or a, or a gateway. Uh, you might say a bridge. It's interesting that the word bridge never occurs in any translation that I could find of the Old and New Testament. So maybe they hadn't invented them yet. Uh, but uh, what they do have is a lot of doors and gates and things like that. And so the Lord came into this world to be a door. And we want to look particularly at this intriguing mention uh, that he's a door to let us into the sheepfold. And once we get into the sheepfold, uh, he allows us to go in and out and find pasture. Like once you're in, why would you ever want to go out? It's, it's sort of a mystery there. So we're going to be looking at, at what it is to go in and out and find pasture and how the Lord is a door. And if you care to join me, let's open with a prayer, shall we, friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for gathering us in your name. You are the word made flesh. You bowed the heavens and came down. Open the pages of your word to us, Lord. Show us who you are and how it is that we can be with you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, friends. Sending love to those of you out online and on the phone and getting the audio, etc., etc. Love to all. And um, why don't we begin by, by reading this story a little bit. This is in the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Uh, and then maybe we'll back up a little bit and get some more context. Uh, it's a very familiar passage to a lot of Christians because it talks about Jesus as being the shepherd and so on. Uh, so let's have a look at this. We'll just start at verse 1 there. Most assuredly, I say to you, <clears throat> he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Mm. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To okay. him, Go on. to him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, hmm. but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. <laughs> yeah, apparently unfamiliar with sheep, I guess. Um, no, it was something that almost everybody did back then. It was a very accessible metaphor, and yet it's interesting that they didn't understand what he was saying. And then these next three verses are, are crucial tonight. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So I am the door. He makes it very explicit that he's the door. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Okay. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So, so the similar thing to other passages where uh, Jesus is the means of salvation. If anyone enters by Jesus... He'll be saved, and what'll he do? 
uh, and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, if saved is going in, like entering by the Lord is being saved, why, as I say, would you go in sounds fine, but what is the out? Why would you, are you going to go into heaven and then you'll come back out of heaven or something? You know, why would you go back out? And what is this pasture that you'll find? Okay, let's read on a little bit to get a little more context. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Which is a huge thing to be able to offer. How many people can say, I, I can give you more life than you have right now? Um, let's go on. I am the good shepherd. Well, wait a minute. Four verses ago, you were the door. <laughs> Now you're the shepherd, but we were already in an analogy that had a shepherd and had a gatekeeper. In fact, it had several shepherds, as far as I could tell, and it has a gatekeeper. And then you were the door, but now you're, now you're the good shepherd. Okay. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Mm. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The yes, go on. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the, sh for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Okay, and let's just stop there. There's much more interesting stuff in the chapter, but a one, one flock and one shepherd. Now, I don't know what your experience is of um, these scriptural teachings, friends. Some of you, I imagine, have had a lot of exposure to them. Some of them haven't had much. And uh, people who have had a lot of exposure to it, uh, some of these verses just get read and preached on a lot. Like you hear it, yes, right. I'm the good shepherd. So I don't know what your experience is. My spirit often just sort of nods and smiles quietly to itself and just, <laughs> yes, yes. And then it says the next thing, yes, mm-hmm, yep, yep, I, I know that, yep, yep. And, and it lays things out. But if you start to examine it, you start to get questions. Like, didn't it say in verse 2, doesn't it seem to be in verses 1 and 2, it's about two different kinds of people in a way. It's the difference between people who are described as thieves and robbers as opposed to the shepherd, the shepherd of the sheep. So you have two different categories. And uh, someone who goes in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And then there's this gatekeeper. I don't know who that is, but there's a gate. Because a little later, Jesus is the shepherd. But if Jesus is a shepherd, then the gate it gets confusing, doesn't it? Um, and so the gatekeeper opens. You see, the way these um, sheepfolds would, would go... You have sheep, they're quite vulnerable uh, animals, uh, tasty to predators and so forth. And so you want to keep the sheep safe. And so 
uh, they would have these sheepfolds, and they would, by design, they would only have one, to keep them safe, you'd only have one uh, point of entrance and exit. You know, you'd have one gateway or one sort of doorway of the, of the sheepfold. And so uh, often there would be, like if somebody managed to construct something with walls, let's say, you know, stones or something and pile them together, some of them would have some sort of roof over them or some would have a partial roof or some would have no roof, uh, but there would be this, this sheepfold. And uh, often you would have multiple flocks. If somebody had a nice sheepfold, you'd have several, you know, lots of people would own sheep. So you got one person's sheep and another person's sheep and another person's sheep. You've got all these sheep in there and they're all mixed in together. Uh, but the gatekeeper knows who the owners are four or five owners or whatever. So when the owner shows up and the owner calls out to the sheep, then those sheep come out that are owned by that one. And then the next one comes and that one's sheep, you know, that's how you can sort of sort them out and keep them straight because that's how they know. They know the, the owner's voice and everything. So the um, gatekeeper won't let other people in there because if they hear someone else, even if let's say that other person is, um, like you try to imitate the uh, you know, one of the shepherds or something like that. Sheep are um, quite easily panicked and they just scatter and run if they don't, you know, if they don't know the voice, they'll, they'll sort of freak out. And um, now, when did Jesus say all this to them? What happened in chapter 9? Well, I don't want to take too much time to go into all that right now, but the whole chapter, look at 9 verse 1. Jesus saw a man who was blind from birth. And the whole chapter is about the healing of this blind man, or I should say, there's this very brief, uh, by verse 7, he can already see, right? So Jesus heals this blind man. Then from verses 8 through 41, Jesus deals with the fact that the Pharisees are very upset about this and launch a full investigation. And the result of their full investigation is that they kick the guy who can see now out of the church. That's the net result of their investigation, is that they kick him out of the church for receiving his sight. It's amazing. It's quite an amazing story. So uh, at the very end of chapter 9, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He says this whole thing about being blind and so on. They're still playing with this idea. And you see... Uh, if you have a red letter Bible, 941 is the beginning of, of all this red, right? This is Jesus talking. So he actually starts at the end of 941. Mm. There is when he starts talking. So this is, he's addressing a group of people that just kicked someone out of the church for being healed. Um, that's who he's talking to. So who do we think are the thieves and the robbers who are not going in the right way? It, it, it's the Pharisees, you know, that's who he's talking about, right? Most immediately, he's talking about people, he's accusing them of being thieves and robbers. In other words, that they've handled this situation not with love and understanding, but with a kind of violent, you know, I mean, they didn't literally beat him up, but they threw him out of the church. Uh, and you can watch how the whole story unfolds. It's a great story. Um, but, they, but they throw him out and the guy ends up following Jesus there instead. So that's part of what's, that's in the air when you get to this story. 
that Jesus is criticizing the way that the Pharisees handled the situation. And he's talking about the difference between that kind of pastoring. Pastor, as you may know, means shepherd. Uh, so the Pharisees are caring for this flock. Elsewhere in Scripture, it's quite easy to show. I didn't get passages for you, but that the sheep are uh, upright people. You know, they're, they're good people. You see that in Matthew 25, which we read every week, whether we need to or not, uh, about the goats and the sheep. That The sheep are people who treat other people well. Uh, so that's the type of person who is a sheep. And then these people who are in charge of the sheep, if they're not being loving and understanding, part of what, what got them all uh, in a twist was the fact that this was done on the Sabbath. And so they were all wrapped up in the fact that Jesus technically broke a certain kind of rule as far as they understood the rule by healing someone on the, on the Sabbath, uh, which is really amazing. You know, like... Here's this guy, he's blind his whole life. Now all of a sudden his whole life has changed. You can see everything so wonderful. And they're fixing it. But what day of the week was it? No, no, wait, no, no you can't. Did you do it? Did you, you know? And they're all upset about that. And they're launching a full investigation and threatening also to kick the parents out of the church. And, and um, quite an amazing response. And this, you see this quite a lot in the Gospels where the Lord will heal. Uh, and it takes a few verses and then it <laughs> takes five times as long to deal with how upset everybody is that this wonderful thing just happened. So uh, aren't people wonderful? And so there's a difference between the type of pastoring that the Lord is looking for, which he's describing as being a thief and a robber, you know, as opposed to going through the door. And the person who goes through the door is a shepherd of the sheep. So he's, he seems to be looking for a different type of pastor, someone who'd go through the door. Now, he tells this whole analogy, and it's, it's quite a clear analogy from the standpoint of the sheep and everything, but they don't know, they don't get it. In verse 6, they just don't know what he's talking about. So he has to make it very clear. So he explains that I am the door of the sheep. So whoever this shepherd is, must be going in through this door. Part of the picture here, uh, you see, look down a little bit here in verses 8 and 9. Um, in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters in by me, he should be saved. This is why I think that the sheepfold is a picture of heaven. Like, to my mind, salvation is going to heaven entering in, being saved. And he says, those who enter in through me will be saved. Isn't that a picture of being allowed into heaven? Um, let's look for a second at some other supporting passages. We'll get back to 10 in a little bit because that's our main focus tonight. I want you to go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Very beginning of your Bible, back there. How does that start again, dear reader? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Yes. So you have the heavens and you have the earth. And what this means, it has a lot, lot of different layers of meaning in there. But there are two worlds. There's a spiritual world and there's a physical world. And the heavens here is referring to the spiritual world. And the earth is re referring to our, our physical world. They also map onto the inner and outer self in each human being. And we can talk about that more another time. Um, 
So just right there you have the picture of two worlds. Part of what I'm talking about tonight is you could, if you want to layer our story onto what we're talking about, then you'd say that the heaven is the sheepfold and then the earth is somewhere else. It says you can go in and out and find pasture. In and out. That, that's, that's interesting to me. Uh, let's go into the New Testament now. So if you go back to where we were in John and turn to the right, I want to go through Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, and get to Ephesians. Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 1. This is about Jesus and what happened to him after he was resurrected. And just hang in there with some of the Pauline amazingness of language. Let's start at verse 19. Okay. And just read to the end of that chapter. Ephesians chapter 1. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So where, where was Jesus then? Keep going. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age... This Okay, and in the old King James, this world, okay, in this age, okay. But also in that which is to come. Go on. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, I know this may be a bit of a stretch, but that body that it's talking about there is similar to what creation story is talking about in the, in the terms of earth, like heaven and earth. He says he's far above all principality and power and might and dominion and so on. I rather here prefer the old, I, I can understand why these translations happen, but not only in this world, but in that which is to come. There's this physical world and then there's the spiritual world to come, the world of the afterlife. And so Jesus fills all in all. This is the main thing I'm talking about tonight, is that Jesus came here to be a bridge between the two worlds. Or to put it another way, to be a door to the sheepfold, a way for people in this world to have access to heaven. And uh, look at Ephesians chapter 4, where you get it more briefly stated in verse, um, oh, let's pick up at verse 8. This is about Jesus again when he was resurrected. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. And gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So in verse 10 there, where did he go? He ascended where? Far above all the heavens. Oh, far above all the heavens. So Jesus went right through the whole thing and came out above all the heavens. And why did he do that? That he might fill all things. Ah, so by going up to the top, then he filled all things, all the way down to the world of the flesh, all the way to the top of the, above the highest heaven so that he could fill everything. These scriptures speak about Jesus being a bridge between the worlds. He's there to fill all things. Another passage we could read along these lines. Sorry for jumping around. Turn to the left again. Let's go back to the Gospel of John 
and go to John chapter 1. Uh, it doesn't express it quite as clearly here, but it talks about the beginning of the story. Let's look at John 1 verse 1 there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, and skip down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So there was this Word that was with God in the beginning, and then it came into this world, bringing all that glory down here. And then at the end of the Gospel of John, it talks about how He's going back up. Uh, you know, going back to the Father. Um, all those things are sort of complicated, um, but the main point I hope that you get out of that tonight is that Jesus fills both the worlds. That was part of his function. Uh, let me tell you a little secret, good friends. You probably, some of you know this. Uh, this is a function, the bridging. You see, if you have two worlds, like structurally, you know what I mean? from the point of from architecture or design or something like that, if you have two worlds that are completely separate, heaven is not up in the sky, it's not if you go up there, it's not up in the stars or up in the clouds somewhere or something like that. There's a whole physical universe full of stars and space and matter and everything else. And then there's a completely separate whole spiritual universe which we don't sense with our physical senses but we can sense it with our spiritual senses. Um, it might be useful in here. Let's go to turn to the right and go through Romans and get into 1 Corinthians. We'll go to chapter 15. This might help a little bit. I know this is pretty heady. <clears throat> the, um, let's read. Uh, it's all about how we die and how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come, it says in verse 35. And then he discusses all this, and then he explains in verse 44, perhaps most clearly. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. See, we have a natural body, and we have a spiritual body. The way the rules of these things work is that as long as the senses in your natural body are working, you don't sense the spiritual world in the same way, even though you already have a spiritual body and you're already in that world. But when your senses here, uh, you know, are quiet or you're in meditation or your veil happens to be thin for whatever reason, then your senses become sensitive in that other world. There are people who look at things from sort of a materialist point of view who would say, well, how can you possibly see in the spiritual world, how can the dead see if they don't have eyes or they don't have ears or whatever? But these physical eyes and ears are only sort of a pale shadow of the spiritual eyes and ears that we have, they're the eyes and ears that we're already using to think and to discern things. We say that in our language all the time, like I hear you, or we say, yeah, I can see that, but I really don't see this other thing. And you don't mean with your physical eyes, you mean with the eyes of your mind, the eyes of your spirit. But as we're, we're dying, then those spiritual senses awaken in another world, and then we have uh, full awareness in that world so we have a physical body, a natural body, and we have a spiritual body to be in these two different worlds meant by the heavens and the earth. Hope this is uh, making any sense whatsoever. <laughs> and when you have a structure like that, it's sort of a, you know what I mean? It's kind of, kind of a tricky, it'd be like 
placing one bicycle on top of another bicycle, like how is that going to work? You know, you, somehow you've got to strap the two together, right? You, you've got to attach them somehow. So the way that God attached the two for the longest time was the Word of God. That's, this, this book is designed to be a bridge between the other world and this world. The, um, uh, it is read. It's such a surprising idea. But Swedenborg says that it is read in the heavens. Scripture is read in the heavens as studied by angels and so on. It reads differently. It's not in English. It's not in French or whatever. It's in a spiritual language. Uh, but it's, it's the same text, only the inside of it. It's like the soul of it. And this is the body of it. And by our reading this text and by angels reading this text, we're brought together with heaven. So the word is supposed to be a bridge between these two. Now, what do we just read in John 1.14? that Jesus became the Word made flesh, right? The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So this was God Himself coming into this world to become the Word, you know, to take on that function of being that bridge between the two worlds. One reason He had to do that was because people were, in a very serious and determined way, refusing to understand Scripture. And uh, so Jesus needed to embody it and come into this world and be a bridge between the both. And so uh, now that he's come into the world and he's been resurrected, the whole structure is much more sound uh, because it's held together permanently by the Lord, by his being in both worlds, by his being far above the heavens and filling all things, by his being the word made flesh. He came out of this world and then he glorified all that flesh. It all disappeared from the tomb. I know this is heady stuff, but it's going to get worse. Okay, good. So uh, now let's read a few things about gates, shall we? Let's go back to Matthew. So turn to the left, go to the first gospel. I just want to look at uh, Matthew 7 here. Verses 13 and 14, a passage we read not too long ago. I'm interested in gates and doorways and, and things that it talks about in Scripture. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. And? Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. This is about heaven and hell. It's, it's the first verse is about hell, and the second verse is about heaven. And there are gates that take you to these places. So Jesus is saying, he's the gate that allows us into heaven. That's that, that narrow, that difficult way, which leads to life. Didn't he say in John 10, I came to, to give life, and, you know, so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Uh, that's, who's, that's who's there. Very interesting, the very next verse happens to mention sheep. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. Interesting. Okay. Uh, okay. Turn to the middle of your Bible. Let's go to Psalm 24, shall we, real quick? Psalm 24. And just another Gates passage. Uh, let's read verses 7 through 10 there in Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Hmm. I think this is, isn't this about the Lord bowing the heavens and coming down. Isn't it like the, the gate is being lifted up so that he can come in? Who is this king of glory? 
the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And by the way, when you see Lord with small caps like that, it always means Jehovah. This is a little hint that Jesus who came into the world was Jehovah. Go on. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Okay, just a little gate passage there for you. And uh, let's just skip to Revelation chapter 22. We read Genesis 1. Why don't we go all the way to the other end of the Bible and have a look at Revelation 22 here. Verse 14, a very important verse to me. Uh, have a look at 22:14 there. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Enter through the gates into the city. This is in the context of a holy city, New Jerusalem, and it's by doing the commandments that you have the right to the tree of life and that you can enter through the gates into the city. Don't go up another way. You know, isn't that what Jesus was saying in John 10? There's another way to go in. Thieves and robbers go that way. But if you go in, uh, if you do the commandments, then you get to enter through the gates into the city. I think it's talking about the same thing. Okay, let's go back to John chapter 10. I just wish to make you a little more dizzy if I can. I apologize for not doing enough along those lines tonight. Um, okay, let's look at 10. So, hmm. So the door, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, said in verse 2. Okay, and then the Lord says that he is the door. I don't know who the gatekeeper is, but he's the door. And look at verse 9 again. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I still don't get why you'd want to go out. Why would you want to go out? If going in is being saved, why is it so great to be able to go out? Well, let's have a little graphic here, shall we, friends? A very crude drawing I have for those of you who are doing the audio, you're not missing a thing. Um, there's just a simple sheepfold, just a sort of a wall that's open at the front. Now, part of what's beautiful about this uh, is this idea that, so if you just picture sort of a, a ring, almost like a bracelet, that just has a little gap in it or something. Uh, what the shepherd would do is he would lie right there across that gate. Because that way, if any sheep tried to step out, he would know it, and he would wake up. And if any predator or any human being or wolf or anything tried to come in, he would know it, right? So he would lie right there. So that's what the Lord means when he says, I'm the door of the sheepfold. Now think about the sheepfold being heaven. He's the door in a straight, like he's, he's also high above the heavens, like he is the sheepfold but he's also right here at the outermost part of it to keep the sheep safe. But he's the doorway. And if you get in, then you can go in and out and find pasture. Now, what's this thing about finding pasture? Well, I have this magnificent graphic here of these four scraggly green plants uh, that the sheep want to go out and eat. Because generally, in the sheepfold, you got all these sheep packed in there like they eat everything in sight in a second. Uh, there's not much to eat in there. That's for safety at night. You have to go out to get your pasture, right? I mean, you have to go out. In fact, what these shepherds are doing when they come in and they call their sheep out 
is they take the sheep out. They do two jobs. We want to keep them safe and B, got to get them, find them something to eat, right? So we're going to go out and we'll try to find pasture over here. So I'm going to take them out. Oh, I found some good pasture over here. So now they can eat. Now I can, and now I can bring them back in. Okay. Now, um, this is such an amazing uh, parable to me. I don't know if I can get it across. I've, I've, uh, I'll become even more incoherent. Um, the, uh, you know, there's a passage in Scripture where, <laughs> where David, David is accused, King David is accused by his wife of being foolish, and he says, I will be even more undignified than this. It's such a wonderful response to a spouse, I think, you know, something that all men through the ages can, can use and use again and again. Um, so it seems like what it's talking about is that we're sheep. Like we want to enter the sheepfold. We want to be saved. We want to go in there. And yet, who was it who enters by the door? In verse 2, it's not the sheep. It's a shepherd. Now, Emanuel Swedenborg, uh, I rarely do this kind of thing, but I think it's true to say that if you look in his work, Divine Providence, section 230, and if you look in his work on the Doctrine of Charity, number 160, you'll see when Swedenborg describes this very passage here, and particularly John 10, verse 9, uh, he takes the people who are going in and out and finding pasture, not as sheep, but as shepherds. And what he says is this mind-boggling idea is that you may be a sheep, and you just may be a sheep wanting to get into the sheepfold. But when, the, this really sounds crazy, but, the, but when the Lord, is just, it's just the Lord's fault. It's not my fault. Not my fault. The Lord said it. Uh, when you go in, the Lord turns you into a shepherd. Sort of like checkers. You get all the way across, and then you turn into, you know, you get doubled, and then you can, you know. Uh, it's like your chess, you know, you get all the way to, whoa, now you become a queen and everything. Uh, if, you, if, if you as a sheep get to the sheepfold, bing, you turn into a shepherd. How weird, very weird. And so when you're a shepherd, then you can go in, but then you go out, and it's not that you're finding pasture for yourself, you're finding pasture for other people. And what better shepherd, how nice to have a shepherd who really understands you because it's a sheep. It doesn't make sense physically, but spiritually it makes sense. This is the way the Lord works. Why would he make, do, do sheep who get there and who, who enter the sheepfold, are they worthy of being shepherds? No, it's because the Lord's a little crazy. He, he has this love problem. He's, he's very, very sweet, and, he just, and he'll give people everything that he has. If he's the shepherd, then he'll say, look, I'd like to make you a shepherd. And you say, well, I'm not worthy of being a shepherd. Hey, just, just go ahead. Yeah. That, that, that's what he says. So he turns you into a shepherd, and now you're in charge of the sheep. You're the one calling these sheep. And Swedenborg says very explicitly, it's not just talking about ministers. Swedenborg says every sheep who makes it in there becomes a shepherd. That's the way this thing works. Every sheep who gets into the sheepfold becomes a shepherd. Sorry, I'd much rather just be a sheep, get fed, taken care of, whatever. But no, you have a responsibility for other sheep now. And they hear your voice. So when you get to that level, isn't this the way that everything works? Doesn't, doesn't everybody, you know, like you, you get to a certain level of achievement of something and then you mentor other people in that, you know, that kind of thing, right? You know, isn't that how the world goes around? 
And your sheep know your... See, that's your voice is talking about. It's also talking about the Lord's voice, but it's also talking about your voice that you know. What does it say in verse 3 there? The gatekeeper opens to you and the sheep hear your voice and you call your own sheep and you lead them out because you're going out to get pasture. So what is going on here? Well, we're already this deep into it. Uh, I think part of what's going on is that one, one thing is that the inside and the outside always in Scripture also means the inside and the outside of us. And you go into what is inward and deep, but you don't get to stay there. you got to come out to find pasture. And you have to lead the sheep out to find pasture. And you know what is the most nourishing thing in the world to sheep? Mm, that is great. Mm. Oh, oh, that's good. The Word, the divine truth that's in the Word is the richest pasture you can find. And so, uh, but truth of all different kinds. Uh, the Lord wants people, once you get to be a sheep, it's like, no, you don't get to stay a sheep. You get to graduate to be shepherd, and the Lord wants you to go out. I think I have proof for you. Look at John chapter 21, the end of John. We read this recently when we're talking about Peter and stuff and John, weren't we? Look at, start at 21 verse 15. Look at the, think of this interaction between Jesus who's resurrected and his lead disciple at the time, Simon Peter. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Oh, he's trying to turn him into a shepherd. Go on. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Oh, look at that. Don't just feed them, tend them, take care of them. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, three times. So he's trying to get Peter to be a shepherd. This is what he's talking about. It's very similar, actually, on a spiritual level to the fact that the Lord called fishers, you know, people who were fishermen, and then turned them into fishers of people. It, it's a similar type of thing, right? You're a, you're a sheep first, trying to find that sheepfold, and then you get turned into the shepherd, and you're taking other sheep out to find pasture. Um, this is the way that the Lord does things. All right. Now, what is going out and coming in? All right. Okay. All right. Let's go through some scriptures. So let's go to, like, not that we haven't done that already tonight. Let's go to the fourth book in the Old Testament. Am I right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. We're going to Numbers chapter 27. I want to read some, see this phra phrasing about... Going in and coming out, that type of thing, comes up in Scripture now and then. It's not only in this passage. And always what I'm trying to do in this Bible study, other than humiliate myself publicly, is to, uh, <laughs> to try to compare passages and bring them together so that the truth shines out of these different passages. Okay, look at Numbers 27, verses 16... And 17. What do we read there? Let, oh, let's read 15. Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, 
let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh. Mm, what an amazing phrase, the God of the spirits of all flesh. Okay. Set a man over the congregation. Okay, what will this man over the congregation be like? Who may go out before them. Oh, he'll go out. Okay. And go in before oh, them. Oh, he'll go in. He'll go out and he'll go in. This is someone who's going to be head of the congregation and he's going to go out and he's going to go in. You can see the connection. of Who knows what it means? But you can see the connection to what we're talking about in John, right? Go on. Who may lead them out and bring them in. Oh, lead them out and bring them in. So this person's going to go, go out, go in. It'll lead them out, bring them in. And why? That the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. Booyah! Did you hear that? Look at that. Look at that. So isn't that amazing? I love Scripture the way that they, it's all talking to us. You know, this was written like hundreds and hundreds of years before the, the Gospel of John, and yet it's singing the same kind of song. Isn't it talking about going out? It's similarly mystical language, talking about going out so that lead them out, bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord won't be as sheep which have no shepherd. So part of what's going on here is you're leading. You're, you're, so that's part of the idea, leading. We already got that idea. But isn't that just awesome? Okay, turn to the right and go through Deuteronomy and get to Joshua. Want to look at Joshua chapter 14. And Joshua says in his old age here, I think, uh, isn't it? Look at verse 11. And the border went out to the side of... Wait, did I did get Joshua, Joshua 14? Oh, sorry, I have Joshua 15. That's all right. It does, they're all interchangeable. 14, 11. Okay. As yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Oh, okay. So he has the strength to go out and to come in. It gives you a little bit the feeling of completing something, doesn't it? Like you can head out, but you got to come back. There's some sort of cycle there that we're talking about. Okay, good, helpful, thank you. Turn to the right and let's go through Judges and get to 1 Samuel chapter 29. All right, 1 Samuel 29, verse 6. This is a, just an amazing story. We don't have time to slow down and, and listen to it. But, but David was actually living with one of the chiefs of the Philistines and passing himself off as an ally of his enemy. It was just amazing. And so here's what Achish, the, the Philistine, says to David in verse 6, 29 verse 6. Then Achish called David and said to him, Surely, as the Lord lives, you have been Upright. Upright. And you're going out and you're coming in with me in the army is good in my sight. For to this day, I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you. All the other Philistines were wisely saying, don't have David pretend to fight on our side. Don't let that guy come in to, you know, line up with us. And the, you crazy? You're out of your mind? But Achish is saying... With your going out and your coming in, I've never seen any... Isn't that give you the sense of thoroughness again? Like, at no time, basically, isn't it the same as saying, at no time have I seen anything bad in what you're doing? Turn to the right to 2 Samuel 3, verse 
25, this was a, this talking about a spying situation, okay? Surely you realize that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you, to know you're going out and you're coming in. Oh, what does he want to know? Just a little bit about you? No, he wants to know all about, right? He wants to know exactly what you're doing. I want names, I want dates, I want places. You know, he wants to know you're going out and you're coming in. And what does it say next after that? And to know all that you are doing. Oh, I see. Okay, thank you. See what I mean? This is, this is how I try to piece together what Scripture means, is that look at that. You study these different passages, and there it says, he wants to know you're going out and you're coming in and to know all that you're doing. Like that's doesn't going out and coming in mean everything you're doing. Isn't that the same thing? It's the complete story. What, what are you doing? Okay, is this fun? Turn to the right and let's go to 2 Kings chapter 19. Isn't this Hezekiah's prayer or something? Let's see. 19 verse 27. We'll just read this quick. But yeah. I know your dwelling place. You're going out and you're coming in and your rage against me. Yes. Uh, the Lord is saying that he is aware of this enemy of the children of Israel. I know you're going out. I know you're coming. You know, in other words, I know all about you. That's what this phrase seems to mean. Mm. Okay? Mm -hmm. Isn't this fun? This is fun. Figuring out what Scripture means. So baffling. All right. Let's turn into the middle. Let's get to Psalm 121, right about in the middle of your Bible. This is a good one, friends. I'm sure it's been singing in some people's minds since we started tonight. Look at verses 7 and 8. Oh, hmm. oh, the, oh, 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 we got it back. Oh, okay. I think we have to read the whole thing. Psalm 121. Yes. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? Mm. My help comes from the Lord. Who, who made, made what? Who made heaven and earth. Heaven and earth, Yes. He will not allow your foot to be moved. Mm. He who keeps you will not slumber. That's right. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Mm. The Lord is your keeper. Your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Your the shade at your right hand. He's a sheepfold. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Okay. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. Mm. He shall preserve your soul. Okay. Say that again. He shall preserve your soul. Keep going. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Does that mean that the Lord gives you partial coverage with a very high deductible? <laughs> no, you're covered entirely. He's, he's got you covered. You're going out and you're coming in from this time forth and even forever is that you are taken care of. So when it says you will go in and out and find pasture, I think it's talking about the fact that there will be this protection uh, and over everything, over everything. I think that's what the going in, the coming out, it means over everything. All parts of your life will be protected and sheltered in this way. Uh, let's go for fun to Ezekiel chapter 46. So if you turn to the right through Isaiah and Jeremiah, you get to Ezekiel. There's a fun little twist. I've said before that there's no uh, plot so thick in Scripture that it can't be further thickened. Uh, in Ezekiel 46, let's read verses 8 to 10 about gates and coming in and going out. 
8 to 10. This is a description, by the way, of this magnificent temple in heaven that seems to associate it with the second coming and so on. When the prince enters, he shall go in by way of the vestibule of the gateway and go out the same way. Oh, he's going to go in in a certain way to get into this beautiful temple in the spiritual world, and he'll go out the same way. Interesting that he, he goes in and he goes out. Okay, go on. But when the people of the land come before the Lord on the appointed feast days, uh -huh. whoever enters by way of the north gate oh. to worship shall go out by way of the south gate. Oh, whoever enters by the north gate, now the prince comes in by the east gate and he goes out the same way. But whoever comes to worship, if you don't happen to be the prince, if you come in by the north gate, you exit by the south gate. Okay? What and, else might be the case? And whoever enters by way of the south gate shall go out by way of the north gate. Oh, weird. How weird. Like it would land you on the wrong side of town and everything, but if you come in the north gate, go out the south gate. If you come in the south gate, you know, exit by the north gate. He shall not return by way of the gate through which he came, mm. but shall go out through the opposite gate. Yes, thank you for clarifying that. The prince shall then be in their midst. When they go in, he shall go in. And when they go out, he shall go out. Oh, so he's get, the leader is going to go in with them. He's going to go out with them. But he goes in and goes out through that same point. Whereas they cross over. Now, Swedenborg says magnificent things about this to which I will not do very much justice. But basically the idea is that if you entered in some way into all this in an exterior way, you know, if you came into religion in an exterior way, then you should also contact the interior, you know, go through the other door to get out. If you came in by an interior way, then, then also, like in other words, if you manage to get your life to work in your inner self, then get it to work in your outer self. Go out by the other gate and get that, you know. Uh, whereas if you manage to get it on the outside, then go to the inside version of it. But the prince is in both at once, and he comes in the middle, <coughs> and he leaves by the same way, but he's in sync with everybody. So when they come in, whether they're coming from, from whichever side, he's coming in. And when they leave, he leaves by the same way. Isn't that beautiful? It's just great. And there are all these feasts that go on, and, and uh, it, it's sort of amazing. Um, uh, oh, they, let's just read one passage in the New Testament. Let's go through the four Gospels and get to the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 9. And uh, there's just a mention about Paul here, in case he's feeling left out tonight. Um, uh, let's look at chapter 9, verses 26 to 28. This is when Saul had come back. His name was originally Saul, and he had been persecuting the Christians, as you may remember. And then he had this spiritual awakening, and he saw Jesus and everything, and he was completely converted. But why would they trust him? So look at what happens when he comes to Jerusalem. Sorry, verse which? Verse 26. Okay. Thank you. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Yeah, that's right. I would be too. Okay, go on. 
But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. That's cool. So Barnabas was sort of being a bridge character, wasn't he? He was being like a door, mm-hmm. right, to bring Paul into the fold, because he was saying, hey, no, listen to him. He saw the Lord on the way, and then you should have heard him preaching in Damascus. In the name of Jesus, this guy's for real, I'm telling you. And so what do we read in verse 28? So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. Yep. There he is. So what does that mean? Doesn't that mean that he's just doing the same thing that they're, you know, living their lives together? Isn't that what they did, coming in and going out? So it hasn't gone out of style by the time you get to Acts. That expression is still being used. And you may remember in... uh, uh, Luke 9, where the disciples are sent out, they're told to go into a house and then exit from that house, you know, to depart from that house and just stay in one house, go into that house and exit the same way. Seems to be related to the same kind of thing here. Okay, all right, okay. Now, I won't be able to wrap up all the loose ends here. Um, think about the fact that the angels came and rolled away the stone stone, right? Wasn't there a door to the tomb? And they they roll away the stone, and then the disciples are allowed to go in there into the tomb, and they see that Jesus is resurrected. I think all these are images that have to do with heaven and getting into the sheepfold. And I think part of the mystery here of what it's trying to say is not only that the Lord is a shepherd. Now, you remember from John 10, part of what's so challenging in an earthly way about this teaching to go back to John chapter 10, uh, is that in verse 16, he says, other sheep I have which are not of this fold, and them I must also bring, and they'll hear my voice. There should be one flock and one shepherd. Uh, Well, how can there be many shepherds if there's only one shepherd? But if the shepherd, the shepherd with a capital S, is within all the shepherds with a lowercase s, uh, then there's one shepherding going on. The, the Lord is the shepherd of everything. The nature of this is that the shepherd, the, the Lord has a love for the salvation of the whole human race. That's what, that's what drives him. That's what creates this safe place. His love and wisdom creates this heaven for the sheep up here. And that's what draws people. And when people turn from sheep, sheep are people who are living an upright life and they're following the Lord and so on. And then boom, whoops, they enter in here and they turn into shepherds and then they're able to uh, lead other sheep and try to bring them, bring them in, bring them out, which means that you're always with them, doesn't it? Going in, coming out, that all phases of their lives, whether it's during the day and they're going out here and they're, and they're feasting on the pasture, something nourishing, right? Something nourishing to your, your spirit. That's what they're being given. And then they're being taken back in here for the safety at night. Uh, that the, the shepherd is always with them. And the shepherd knows them, knows them by name. Name means quality. In other words, wherever you are in your life, if the Lord is calling you to be a shepherd and he errs on the side of calling too many people, it says many are called, few are chosen, and so on. But the, uh, the Lord calls people... Uh, he might give you some insight into the name. What's the quality of the people who you're taking care of? What, who, who are you talking to? You know, who are you, who are you trying to reach? Because they, they know your voice. They hear the Lord's voice, 
and they follow and they go out and they find pasture. They're able to go in and out and find pasture. So you see how the Lord turns from being the door, I'm the door of the sheep, and then he turns into the shepherd. It's kind of confusing, isn't it? But I think he's all these different things. It's sort of like a low budget play where the same kid plays five parts, you know, go strange, get a different wig on and come, you know, the Lord is the gatekeeper. He's the shepherd. He is the lamb, right? He's the lamb. He's the shepherd. He's the door to the sheepfold. He is the sheepfold. He's probably the gatekeeper, right? He's the one who knows who else is allowed to go in there and everything. He's the whole thing. And he gets to be that because he's far above the heavens and he fills all things. It's all within the Lord. Um, a lot of people, think about uh, human anatomy, which is another thing that Swedenborg seems to be obsessed with, and justly so. Uh, in the human body, the, you have these tissues and those, you know, that organ, this organ, and so on. And then there's a whole bunch of connective tissue and membranes that hold things together and stuff and ligaments and tendons and everything, you know, like there's all this stuff that holds you together. Uh, the Lord needs, the, the Lord is the door that holds the two worlds together. He needs a whole lot of people who are willing to join him in that function to be bridges or doors or, or gateways, uh, people who can help others, people who can connect different kinds of people together. There's a lot of talk in Scripture about gathering, this gathering that's going to happen. And the Lord needs people to gather people. And what ultimately does all this is the most attractive thing in the world, which is love. You know, the Lord gives people love and people express that love and it's just like, Magnetic and love is what brings different kinds of people together. Um, uh, so, um, in closing, I want to say that uh, there's something immensely comforting, I think, if we can hold it in the right way, about the idea that wherever you go, we, there are parables about lost sheep, aren't there? You know, no matter where we are, the Lord is there. He's, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. There's nowhere you've ever been that He wasn't and that He couldn't reach you there. And there's nothing that's going to happen to us when we die, when we cross over to the other side to be absent with the bodies, to be present with the Lord. He's going to be right there. People who have near-death experiences can tell you, boom, first person you meet, oh, hello. You know, He's the door to that other world, isn't He? like his body is right across that opening there. So when we die, we go right through the Lord. That's the first person you see on the other side. And then he shows, okay, here are your relatives and loved ones, you know, and uh, everything. But he's, he's the first one, whether people recognize him or not. That's that love, that, that amazing light and love. And the Lord has a lot of angels who do that work for him and fills him with his, his spirit because they're going to be shepherds bringing people like, welcome to the spiritual world. You know, being the door, helping people off into that sheepfold. The sheepfold is a beautiful image for how safe we are in heaven. The Lord says in the same passage, doesn't he, later on, he says, nobody can snatch them out of my hand, you know. 
uh, he's able to preserve. That's a little later, verse 29. My father which gave them me is greater than all, and no one is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one, he says. Um, once we're safe in the Lord, we'll never get unsafe. He, he has us. And whether we go out and we come in and we're leading other people out and coming in, uh, the Lord will keep our going out and our coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. I love the idea that the Lord is the doorway to heaven. He also is heaven itself. Swedenborg says that the, the divine uh, nature of the Lord is what constitutes heaven. The angels merely populate it. Uh, you get to live there, but he actually is that, that sheepfold. And ultimately, even though it's an incredibly diverse world full of you know, trillions and squillions of, of people of all, all different kinds, uh, ultimately there really is only one, one flock and one shepherd, and the Lord invites us to partake in his shepherdness. All right. That ends our strange and fascinating discourse. Thank you for coming along, good friends. And let's close with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for laying down your body right across that joint between the other world and this one so that you could be right there and you could know everybody who's coming in and going out. It's not that there aren't other ways to get there, but the only ones who use them are thieves and robbers. Your love and your wisdom are the only valid way to connect these two worlds. Thank you for being the Word made flesh. Thank you for being the gatekeeper, for being the door to the sheepfold, for being the ultimate shepherd. Please help us in our shepherding of one another. Teach us how to go in and come out in your name and help people to find pasture. Our Father who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so we can find our way to the sheepfold.